0: Can thunder really strike twice? In the case of Thor, it sure didn't. In this week's byword, we're fixing Thor the Dark World. The byword starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds, welcome to episode 130 of the Nerd Byword podcast, one of many podcasts that will protest the musky stank of Twitter by not spending $8 a month to be verified. I'm Dave, I'm here with my buddy Chris, and in this week's episode we are going to be fixing the lackluster Thor The Dark World. Can we polish that turd and make it just a little less turdy? Uh, You'll find out in this week's Big Talk. But before that, it is time for... All right, Chris, what's new in the world of Netflix's The Witcher that doesn't involve the missing Henry Cavill?
1: So, indeed, in our last episode, we detailed Henry Cavill's planned exit from the role of Geralt of Rivia and The Witcher franchise as a whole. Subsequent reporting has come out that would strongly support the theory of creative differences being the reasoning behind that decision. While a petition to keep Cavill in the role has reached over 200,000 signatures, Netflix released a teaser for the upcoming Michelle Yeoh-led uh, prequel series Blood Origin. Featuring stunning vocals from Sophia Brown's Aile and equally captivating visuals, the footage truly lives up to the moniker of a teaser with precious few details being revealed. The synopsis and title detail that the plot is centered around the creation of the very first Witcher in an elven world 1,200 years prior to the main series events. It will also include those events that lead up to the all-important conjunction of the spheres. Blood Origin will release to Netflix as a four-episode limited series on December the 25th, and I know that I am headed to the continent for winter break, Dave.
0: Well, good for you, dude. I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, Obviously, the involvement of Michelle Yeoh goes a long way in uh, making me interested in watching this. However, um, I'm kind of souring a little bit on the Netflix Witcher franchise, um, partially, of course, because of the exit of... Henry Cavill. Uh, But then there's, you know, the additional behind the scenes rumbling about the general disrespect towards the source material. Um, And I'm just starting to kind of get the sense a little bit that maybe the people that are making the show behind the scenes are not uh, in love with the franchise as much as some of the fans. And I, I fear there is... There is a reckoning uh, on the horizon where the, the two attitudes, the attitude of the writers that don't seem to really enjoy the source material and the attitude of the fans that generally do, I think that it's going to clash at some point soon and things are going to turn ugly. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this this miniseries is absolutely fantastic and I hope The Witcher franchise continues chugging along. I certainly love it. Um, the book's probably more so than than the TV show, but still. Um, But I just have, I I have a feeling of doom and gloom in the pit of my stomach that something's about to go off the rails, my man.
1: Stop being so German all the time.
0: (laughs) It's called Realpolitik because we are realists.
1: All right, Dave, unfortunately, you have much more somber news to share with us this week.
0: Yeah. So by the time this uh, hits the uh, the podcast world, uh, we've already sit, uh, sat on this news for a couple of weeks. But I don't think that is going to take the sting off of the fact that Kevin Conroy passed away at age 66 after a short battle with cancer. Now, Conroy, of course, um, a, a pretty prolific actor, a uh, you know, started on the stage as Hamlet in the in the mid 80s, ended up in some TV shows like, you know, Dynasty, Another World, Cheers and so on. But then um, in the early 90s, landed the role uh, of, of voice acting Batman in the new Batman the Animated Series and kind of started a career voicing Batman on and off for the rest of his life. Um, you know, first in Batman the Animated Series... Um, Then later in Justice League and its follow-up, Justice League Unlimited, uh, as well as in Batman Beyond. uh, Various movies, including uh, Mask of a Phantasm, which I believe is still the only um, animated Batman movie to be shown on the big screen. Uh, then he made the jump to video games, voicing uh, Batman in three Arkham games, as well as Injustice. And then most recently uh, in the game Multiverses, which just came out this year and is now going to stand as his last performance as the character. Um, he also made a live action appearance as Bruce Wayne in uh, the Arrowverse in 2019 in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Um so he's had this incredibly long association with the character. Uh, in addition, Conroy, of course, has been you know, a regular on the convention circuit. He's always made it a point to you know interact with fans. Uh, all fans that have met him generally describe him as incredibly you know, gracious and, and earnest. Um, I think it would be really, really... Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that earlier this year, um, he wrote a story for the DC Pride uh, comic anthology where he uh kind of discussed a little bit um how he found his Batman voice uh rooted in his struggles as an actor after he came out as gay. Um and I think that, you know, has been made uh free for the time being on DC Universe Infinite um in, in tribute to uh Conroy. Uh so I mean how That's all very like, you know, just the facts, man. But I think what it comes down to is when it it comes to Kevin Conroy, his work has touched a lot of nerd lives. Um, When I read a Batman comic book, and I I know I'm not alone with this, I hear Kevin Conroy's voice uh, as Bruce Wayne Batman. And I think more so than any other... Batman actor of the last, you know, couple of generations. This this is our Batman. This is this is the Batman of the nerd world, and it's not saying that we didn't have some great, you know, performances on, on big screen. You know, Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, etc. Um, but I think what it comes down to is simply this: uh, he, th- this is our Batman, and he transcended, you know, even our generation in a lot of ways, um, Chris, and got to uh, a younger generation when he made the leap to voicing video games as well. So th- there's just you know so many people uh, across the globe. This is their Batman, um, and the definitive Batman in a way that for a previous generation, Chris Reeves was the Superman. Uh, th- this is the Batman, and and his passing and knowing that we're never going to have new material of him, you know, voicing that character, you know, is is painful. So you know, for for me at least, you know, all I can say is condolences to his friends and his family for their loss. Um, uh, although we only feel a fraction of that because we're basically fans and not loved ones, um, we, we feel for you and and our hearts go out to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll echo that wholeheartedly. And, and as I said, in our, our tribute post on our social media pages is it feels like the dark, uh, the night is a little bit darker without him in it. Um, I would, I would put him, I, I said this to you, as soon as I got the news, I called you, um, and you had already seen it, but I mean, like, for all intents and purposes, he was one of the seminal voices of our childhoods, of our upbringings. I would put him up there with James Earl Jones and 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 Cree Summer, um, who voiced everything from, you know, Rugrats to s- so many different roles that we don't even give her enough credit for. But one of those seminal voice actors that you just there's transcends so many different things. And as you said, when you read Batman or you see something on social media, even of Batman and be like, Oh, there's Kevin Conroy. And it's not even a debate. There's, there's no debate where we kick around. Who's the best Spider-Man or, or who's the best this or that for the character. Um, virtually everyone in the know, uh, says Kevin, Kevin Conroy's Batman. And, um, another touching tribute from his joker mark hamill um it's just it's just it it's just truly heartrending and um i i don't know what else to say it just feels like a little bit um, it, it, i i i kind of feel my mortality a little bit because this was something that really centered me as a kid um those fox box cartoons man every 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 Saturday morning. And that was, that was part of that. I mean, I can, our very first episode, we had the Batman, the animated series music. We talked about how con- iconic it was. And like that, that squinting of the eyes from that opening sequence, like you, it just cuts you to the quick. I mean, so um this, this hurts pretty deeply.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Conroy, and and his performance were my my way in you know I mean there were two mm-hmm. things that eventually turned me into a nerd and that was watching you know Chris Reeve Superman movies on VHS over and over again and then you know the the premiere of the um, of the Batman animated series ultimately led me to try to seek out comic books you know so um, I. I would not be the 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 nerd I am today I would not be I would not have the love of the medium of comic books that I have today I would not have you know ventured however small in into the world of even writing comic books if it hadn't been for Kevin Conroy's work on that show so um you know I I, I owe that man a lot so so seeing him pass is is extremely painful I think to to the entire nerd world we lost a giant all right. I have no transition for this. Obviously, this is an extremely, uh, an extremely emotional moment. So we're just going to go ahead and and we'll, um, you know, we'll we'll cut to our little our little jingle, and when we come back, we'll be talking about Thor. <music> Alrighty, folks. It is that time again. We are going to try to fix a movie that we think just went slightly askew, or or a lot askew, depending on the movie, in this week's And so in this week's Big Talk, we are tackling Thor The Dark World, a movie that uh, is much maligned as sort of the bad Thor movie. Uh, the the first one is generally uh, positively seen. And then, of course, as of the third movie, Taika Waititi uh, got involved and sort of went into a tonally different direction with the character, which, which kind of leaves The Dark World as sort of a, a very... Um, in, in in a very odd spot in the franchise. So as always, when we d- attempt to fix a movie, uh, we each have sort of three big fixes that would, we, we would like to make to the movie in order to improve it. Um, then we'll have some final thoughts at the end. So Chris, your first big fix of Thor The Dark World, how would you improve this movie?
1: Okay, so I've got to set the scene for this because this is an episode I've been clamoring for for a long time. Um, So... I I I actually really like this movie. Um I ride for it. I'm a rampant defender of it and I think with a couple of tweaks, I think this is probably the most in my opinion, I think this is the most fixable movie that we've fixed. Um I think with a couple of minor tweaks, this could be a top-tier MCU entry. Um my hot take of the week is the first Thor is not good. It is not good. And as much as I love Kenneth Branagh uh, as an actor, um, he he can at times, you know, lean too much into himself. And um, if you'll beg the Harry Potter reference, he is Gilderoy Lockhart in real life in for a lot, in a lot of ways. And so I think that the first Thor movie is a lot of per- pomp and circumstance and kind of behind the facade and the veneer of Asgard and some of the sweeping visuals. There's not a lot there. I think there's a lot more substance to this movie. I think it's just poorly executed in some ways. Um, So I ride for this movie. Um, My first and probably the most important fix is we have to completely retool Malekith and the Dark Elves as a whole. I think this is just such a miscue. Um... And once you fix this, I think the whole movie, it's like the ripple effect of this fix will be just fine. We have to completely retool Malekith and the Dark, set, dark Elves as a whole. I mean, for, for Pete's sake, you have Chris Eccleston in the role. And Doctor Who has not been my vibe so far. I've tried the first couple of episodes um, a lot of it just grosses me out. The stretchy skin lady, and especially the goop, the goopy alien people is super gross. But my biggest observation is that Eccleston is an absolute star. And so that's, that's what keeps me coming back to Dr. Who and to give it even a try because he has, he has this magnetic presence. And I think he's perfectly cast in the role of Malekith. If you get Malekith, right, because if you even read the old Walt Simonson stuff, And even more so, and I know that a lot of this came after this movie came out, but the spirit is there in the character. Malekith is not dissimilar to Loki as far as like a trickster. It's just the the major difference is that Loki has a good heart despite all of his games. It's the difference is that Malekith is truly evil at his core and he's corrupted. Um, you know, and Jason Aaron would go on to detail some of that uh, origin story as to why he is corrupted and why he is, you know, dark in his heart. Um, and I think this is just such a strange choice for the character. So if we completely retool Malekith, I think Eccleston is perfectly suited to play this dark evil trickster. Um, And so when I do revisit this film, that's my greatest disappointment is that you had Chris Eccleston right here to do it. And you made him some weird Star Trek one-off villain and, and completely dropped the ball.
0: Now, see uh, my, my first, um, you know, fix ties directly into yours. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to launch right into that and we can kind of compare notes. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned that Malekith and Loki are not dissimilar, and I think there's a thematic hook there um, that the movie completely leaves laying on the floor because they're not willing to, you know, play with that notion. So I think the perfect thing for this movie would be to make Malekith a foil for Loki, right? So it's it's more of a um, a dark mirror for Loki that he has to look into, and that he has to kind of he has to basically discover what what you've Already stated clearly, which is that Malekith is evil at his core, and Loki has deep down a good heart. And I think there is, a, you know, this is a point in the MCU where Loki is primed for a realization like that. You know, he's, you know, he's locked up after the whole Avengers thing, if I remember correctly, right? Um, so, so th- this moment then of him having to face this this dark mirror and realize, holy crap the There goes by the grace of God, me, you know that that would be a very powerful um arc, I think for Loki to go through, and much more powerful than what they actually put uh in in the movie, you know there is that like you know, oh no, I'm dead, and then he's not dead, and he's like posing as you know, all that is just like so much silliness, right, but I think the this this idea that the main villain of the movie has this is almost like a dark reflection of Loki and Loki has to have this this um you know th- this moment of pure realization i don't want i'm i am what i am but i am not that i think there's a lot of really powerful thematic um uh, resonance i think in that and at that that's the very first thing that should be done so yeah i totally agree that that malekith and the dark elves all need to be retooled they need to lean more into how malekith is in the comic books and they need to make these very very um explicit parallels between Malekith and loki and then for loki to you, so you don't know even through the movie perhaps how loki is going to end up falling in all this you know like is is this somebody that he could join because they are so similar or is is loki going to come to the realization that he is he doesn't want to be like that i think that would be uh, a very very fascinating through line for a movie that didn't really have a lot of through lines
1: yeah i think um There's some important context that has been made common knowledge, but, you know, maybe some context if our listeners need to know it. This movie was in development hell for a long time. Uh, Changed directors, I think twice, maybe three times. Um, Patty Jenkins famously was attached, but then due to creative differences, left the project. Uh, Having heard her plans, I'm not sure that it was a great fit for her. Um, she said that she basically wanted to make it a Romeo and Juliet, which I don't know that I like, but, um, it seems, it seems true to her vision as a character and, a, uh, or excuse me, as a director in a lot of respects. Um, it's also coming straight off the heels of the Avengers. Um, and so the MCU was really kind of finding its footing. You had Iron Man three before this, which I actually really, really like gets a lot of crap, but I think it's a strong film. Um, with a couple of tweaks, maybe another fixed candidate. Um, Maybe so. But I think one of the missteps is that Loki came out of Avengers so popular. And let's be honest, uh, a lot of people's object of crushes. And so they saw Hiddleston's performance in that. And they were like, okay, we need more of that. And so that changed a lot too. And so you had a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of pots cooking, but nothing, not a whole lot of synergy here. Um, and so I think that that explains a lot of stuff and it brings some important context to, to what we have here as the end product.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously they were struggling to figure out a direction for this movie after the first one, right? The first one is very much a, you know, um, bringing Thor down a notch and teaching him some humility, but where do you go from there? Um, and they, they never quite, I think, worked that out with the second movie. All right, Chris, what is your second fix of Thor The Dark World?
1: Another great frustration for me for watching this is we don't have a real explanation for why Thor and Jane were separated. Um, so give clearer reasoning for that, for whatever reason. We kind of get hints that Odin forbids the relationship, but why would Thor listen to that? And if you do want to go that route, at least make that a stronger thing rather than just a hint. He obviously, you know, this is one of the plot holes from the Avengers film is that even though the Bifrost is destroyed, he can still travel to Earth in the Avengers film. Um, You still have him going between other realms and he easily comes to Earth when Jane gets abducted by the ether or whatever verb we want to use with the ether. Um, Infected? in fact, <laughs> um, whatever, whatever. Uh, uh, when, when Jane—here it is. This is exactly what I thought. When Jane um, gets taken over by the Carnage symbiote. <laughs> <laughs> so uh. I need, I need clearer reasoning. Whatever direction you want to go in, at least make it clear because it's all up in the air as to why he ghosted her for so long, and yet he's pining after her. So, like, nobody's happy with what what came up on screen here.
0: Yeah, and I think um say what you will about uh you know the most recent Thor, Love and Thunder. One of the more interesting sequences in that movie was showing how the relationship between Thor and Jane soured. I think that sequence is is probably the best thing in the movie because you know even though we're dealing with you know god of god of thunder woman of earth and all that crap it felt incredibly honest mm-hmm. and and real you know and when you come um into these fantastical worlds like you know um, you know all of this space stuff that's basically going on in thor um it, it's so important that the characters at least come from a very very real place and i don't think um that that this movie ever was interested in answering those questions in a real and believable way that it was it feels like the movie makers were much more concerned in trying to work out what they're going to do with the fantastical elements that they didn't spend enough time working out the details about the inner the interpersonal relationship stuff there's a lot of interpersonal relationship stuff in this movie that feels very glossed over Um, and discarded very quickly. And the the whole separation between Thor and Jane is one of those elements. So easily, easily my favorite thing in Thor Love and Thunder is the sequence explaining how they drifted apart. And if we would have gotten something like that in this movie, I think it would have have tremendously improved the movie.
1: And it's incredibly realistic too, because if you've ever been in a long-term committed relationship, you vibe with that immediately. And the work that it takes to you know, continue to keep those relationships strong and healthy.
0: It's exactly right, man.
1: Uh, So I'm very excited uh, to talk about your second point because I I, I definitely feel the same vibes.
0: Yeah, I think that structurally the movie just feels really weird. You know, I, 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 I felt like there was a lot of hand wringing and it felt a little bit slow. I know that sounds weird because there are, you know, there are action beats and all that. But I think... The movie spends like almost two acts setting up something, and then the third act is just sort of like a rushed conclusion. And so. I feel like if you took the movie and and sped it up a little bit, you know, you compress the front end a little bit and and kind of get to the attack on Asgard by the end of Act One, then suddenly you have a much more interesting center second act of the movie, w- which would be that you take, <clears throat> you know, you take Thor, you take Loki, you take Jane, and I would say, you know, go full bore here, and you take Sif and the Warriors Three, and you 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 kind of throw them all together into this almost like road trip second act right you know where they where they're trying to get to their goal and we can have a little bit of fun with with all these different realms and stuff like one of the things i never quite understood about the first couple of thor movies is that they 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 spend a lot of time running their mouth about all the different worlds that are out there and absolutely have no interest in exploring or even even hinting or showing these worlds and so it would be really interesting when you take you know um, you you have uh, the this set of characters that is you know r- racing to their destination during the second act, leading into the third act, and we're kind of going on a road trip. And I'm going to go so far as to say that the the fact that the um that that the whole uh, bifrost is still come is still broken thing does really nothing for the movie. So why haven't we fixed that thing or or partially fixed it? So it's not perfect, but it's kind of usable. It would have gone a long way in even you know explaining how Thor showed up in Avengers. You know you have a you have sort of a, a rigged up version of the Bifrost that doesn't work all that well, but that's all you got. And so you got to use it, you know. And then you can go out there and you can explore a little bit and you can have fun with these disparate characters and bouncing them off of each other in increasingly odd situations. So you have, you know, you have Jane, you have the point of view character, right? And you have Loki who may betray them at any moment, You have Thor, who's pining over Jane. Sif, who seems like she might be pining a little bit over Thor. The Warriors 3, you're just trying to figure out what in the heck is going on. And suddenly you have a little bit of fun with this, right? Um... I think that would have been a very, very interesting second act instead of what they did. So just to, you know, just attack Asgard at the end of act one, you know, use this rigged up, uh, barely working Bifrost and, you know, go on a road trip, even have an excuse for why you can't go directly to where you're going. You just say, oh, we, we tried to use the Bifrost and it backfired, it didn't work, right? We're going to have to try again, or we're going to try this method or, you know, whatever. Um And and you just kind of do this, this, the best way to describe it is like a road trip uh, with a whole bunch of characters that are stuck together and they don't necessarily all get along. You can even see a a little bit more fun stuff in like, you know, C and D storylines in the background of the Warriors three competing or something, you know, I think there's just something there that would have given the movie um, a sense of scale, you know, And, 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 and variety by going through all these different locations
1: all right so we're we're doing this a lot here. We're merging it almost like the ether or the carnage symbiote uh, of the m c u so i'm gonna I'm gonna combine one of my fixes because it's explore more realms, stop talking about the nine realms or in the comics the ten realms and actually show them to us and I think that would have gone a long way um in kind of making the dark elves and Svartalfheim mean something if you showed me Alfheim. Uh, or Alfheim uh, like what? show me the light elves so I can in contrast see the dark elves and I can see Niflheim uh, or I can see Jotunheim which we saw in the first Thor movie but like show me these nine realms you keep referencing um, also here's another thing where they should have just said that they had like a rigged up Bifrost because how were they in Vanir Hogan's home realm fighting the rock dude uh korg's cousin i guess like how did they make it there at the beginning of the movie the first time we see thor he's in vanir one of the other realms how did he get there how is um how is heimdall getting him back and forth from there and then he just goes to earth i'm like so you should have just like removed all of that and then come up with another reason for he and jane to be separated it doesn't make sense
0: it does not and i think that goes back to the idea of emotional truth right um and and the notion that there are there are better um more interesting and more honest ways to separate those two um characters than oops by frost not working
1: you could even go with the trope of i wanted to protect you and if you're a part of my world then you'll be in danger
0: oh ive i hate that trope so much i do i really um, do there's got to be a, I mean, come on. I mean, there's got to be a better way.
1: You're a bleeping deity. Like you can protect her just fine. Shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding, man.
1: All right, Dave. Uh, this is uh, like, come on. Have you read a comic book? Because this is exactly right, Dave.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there's more there's more fun to be had, I think, in this movie, if we just let Asgard be the bad guy a little bit, you know, and then now we have finally a a journey for Thor to go on, right? I mean, in in the first movie, Thor learns humility. And in the second movie, what does Thor learn, Chris, as it stands? Yeah, like what does what does he learn in the second movie, right? Like it doesn't seem like he learns much of anything, right? How much does he grow as a character? Not a lot. It seems like his main center of this movie is saving Jane, right? Isn't that a band? Um. Anyways, so he, I know the diary of Jane. We... Jane,
1: Jane. I have a I have a student named Jane, and I tease her all the time because you know because Janie's got a gun. Jane's addiction. Who's who's? I, I believe she's actually named for uh. Uh, Diary of Jane. Jane is the subject of a lot of songs.
0: Yeah, I think I think Jane was inspirational to many people in, in history. Anyways, uh, now I wanted to write a story about an immortal Jane who just keeps inspiring all these different works. She's stories. a muse, uh, but...
1: one of the ancient muses.
0: Anyways, I hate, I hate that trope too. Um, so... <laughs> Let, let let me circle back around to where I actually was. Uh, I don't think Thor goes through any um, significant character development in this movie, and so what what can he learn? First, he learns humility and what it means to be a you know a good man, a good person, right? About putting other people before you, and then he takes that knowledge back, um, and and let's just say that he, here he has to learn. Well, holy smokes, I learned how to be a, a good man. In fact, I learned that lesson a little too well because look at all the crap Asgard is doing, right? And this ties nicely in with the notion of having a second-act act road trip, you know? You have Malekith, who is all ticked off at at you know Asgard and attacks it and all that and blah, blah, blah. Why don't we go ahead and, and go out there into the realms and we find out, dude... Um, you know we 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 tell the story about how asgard is all benevolent and stuff but when you get out there uh we're kind of an empire we've kind of like you know um uh, imposed ourselves on all these people and here thor is, is standing and it's like well holy crap uh you know I, I don't want this i mean i don't i don't like what malekith is doing but maybe the dude has a point maybe there's something something rotten here in Asgard, maybe, maybe we're the bad guys, you know, and maybe, maybe I should fix this. Right. And I think if you have that moment with Loki, who's looking at Malekith and realizing, Oh crap, I don't want to be that. Then obviously, obviously Loki is not going to end up at the end of the movie where he did, which is, you know, impersonating, you know, the, the, the great God here. And instead maybe we can have a situation where, um, where Thor ends up in charge at the end and he finds himself in this position of trying to lead Asgard and do what's best for his people. And at the same time, trying to give these other realms their, their, their freedom back. So he doesn't give, you know, rise to another Malekith and what kind of tight rope does that leave him in for the next movie? You know, it's much more interesting. You know, what, what do you do when you are suddenly in charge of, Uh, uh, an oppressive empire. How do you put an end to that? while at the same time, you know, keeping the support of your people so they don't oust you. Uh, Much more interesting situation And, and leads some tech, gives us some texture for the whole road trip in the center of the movie, because then you have, you know, this slow dawning realization. Like, you know, holy crap you know is 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 asgard basically like the empire from star wars like are we the bad guys what in the world are we doing out here why are there so many um realms that were partying down when uh, the bifrost was destroyed and now that it's working again they see an asgardian coming they all want to run for the hills like something's wrong here i think that would be a, a really really interesting direction to take this story chris
1: yeah and i think that um that's something one of the many many things that ragnarok in my opinion got so right is you got that with hella and you got that that removal of the veneer and the the infestation that was behind it and the ugly truth um so you know for, for many many reasons ragnarok is one of my all-time favorite comic book movies. And I think that's something that they absolutely nailed because, as I said, in the comics and in Norse mythology, <laughs> in the very, very source material, Odin Odin is like having a, like who can be a bigger asshole contest with Zeus from Greek mythology. I mean, like they're pretty awful and causing most, if not all of the problems for Thor, uh, at least in Odin's respect.
0: Yeah, I think uh you know that was one of the better things about Love and Thunder as well. Um and one that we talked about the movie should have leaned into much more which is that, you know, you know gore has a point. The gods are pretty stinking awful, right? Yeah. Um and so and so we could have as you know hindsight is 2020 20 and all that, but you here's already a route for something like that. You know, for Thor to go through the realization here already to that pull, that to something stinks and that-
1: to pull on that thread yeah. later on.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so here he's like realizing, well, maybe Asgard is is bad in some ways. And then later on it's like, well, crap, it's not just Asgard, it's all these other pantheons too. You know, I mean it's 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 where you can progress the character and build on it. Because the one thing we can totally agree on, I think, is that the Thor movies, um, they don't do a good job telling some kind of overarching narrative right? I mean, they're just kind, they're just kind of there, right? The first Thor stands alone fairly well, but then Thor The Dark World is just kind of a mess. It does not thematically feel of a cloth uh, with the first one for many reasons. Then Taika Waititi comes in and he completely throws the baby out with the bathwater for better or worse. I think Ragnarok was a a much better movie than The Dark World, but it also is a, it's a it's kind of a zigzag away from what the first couple of movies were tonally, right? It's, it's and completely
1: so I, hitting the reset button, yeah.
0: That's exactly right. And then you get to Love and Thunder and it's kind of trying to like loop back on itself a little bit and tie back into the dark world and bring Jane back and all that. And and you know, you, you're you left with a very disjointed franchise. But if you if you kind of plant the seed here of Could Asgard be the bad guy and Thor realizing that Asgard needs to be better than it is and then build on that later with no, it's 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 all the gods, all the pantheons are kind of crap. I think that's an interesting through line.
1: Yeah, I think it's something and I'm not 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 to tease you too much about a movie you haven't got a chance to see yet. But I think that's something that Ryan Coogler does so well in both now both Black Panther films is he absolutely nails character arcs. And so that's something I, I absolutely love about his work, and and I wish we had more in Thor movies.
0: Yeah, or or you know MCU wide in general. I think sometimes uh, some of the characters get lost a little bit. I mean, there are characters that end up with some decent arcs. Nebula, you know, lo- looking at you, UK- yeah, Nebula, or looking even in in some respects at Captain America a little bit. Although the end of his arc kind of feels disjointed from the rest of it. Um, I I think that that you know consistent movement forward is difficult when all these things are not planned down and planned out in advance so that means that the creators involved the writers the directors to have to have a willingness to take the characters where, where they are and try to build on it rather than trying to pretzel the character into a different shape in order to fit them into the narrative they're trying to tell and i think that is infinitely uh, more difficult to do i think it's something
1: that they can more comfortably do now in that because like we said into context in 2013 when this movie came out we still were unsure like avengers was a good time but like where do we go from here but right now like for all intents and purposes the mcu and disney at large seems like this unstoppable juggernaut like the mcu is is never ending and so they kind of have one of the privileges of that is they have the the room and the ability to tell those character arcs and those stories
0: yeah i can agree with that chris all right so we each uh, also have picked a um a bonus uh fix that we would like to implement uh what is your bonus fix chris
1: i'm so over we talking about tropes i'm enough with the darkness as a thing like it's so like there's no rhyme or reason to it it's just darkness will descend like come on just just stop it's gross it's weird it's i i don't know what to do with it but like i said before the way that they i don't i don't know if like it feels like i said like a a one-off star trek villain that is so forgettable and it feels so in line with the, the Star Trek franchise that was coming out at this time. Um, both, you know, the first one and especially into darkness, which I'm I'm not sure about the release schedule, which I enjoyed those movies, but like, it feels like maybe it's a, it's, it's a, a, a tens thing. Like when it comes to sci-fi of just like the darkness and ooh, dark and spooky, it's such a sci-fi trope for this era that I'm I'm glad it's over.
0: Yeah, you know, is there anything more tropey than the darkness is coming? Uh, you know, it's 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 a vague threat at best on the one hand and on the other hand um like it, it I know what it's try what that trope has always tried to do which is like speak to some kind of primal fear of like, you know, a lack of light because you can't see and you know there's something about like oh I can't see so someone's going to come and eat me or something. I mean you know horror movies play with that all the time. But if you just if you're not going to go through the effort of actually like giving a texture to the threat of your story, if you're just going to call it some kind of darkness, then um, you know it just comes across as incredibly contrived and lame.
1: Yeah, um, I'm interested on yours, Dave, because it's it's very much in line with with you and your interests. You love side characters. You love them. I do
0: love side characters. Uh, I have to say that the Warriors 3 and most of the uh, Thor comic books that I read where they play a role are absolutely a a, a fascinating bunch. I mean, fascinating enough that I think they could almost carry their own movie if somebody would bother to do that, you know? Um, And it's kind of almost offensive to me how, how they're just dispatched. You know, in in almost every Thor story, they're completely sidelined on the big screen, and now they're they're dead. So I mean, we're not going to see them again. Yeah. Um. Thank God Sif made her a comeback, though. Right? In in Love and Thunder, at least we got kind of a a glimpse of her. Oh my God! What is the name of the actress playing Sif? Oh, I'm drawing um, a blank. Jamie
1: Jamie Alexander.
0: Jamie Alexander. So so fun story. Jamie Alexander was like my top pick, um, to play Wonder Woman. Like I thought she would have made a fantastic Wonder Woman in so many ways. I'm such a huge fan of Jamie Alexander. Like it's absolutely ridiculous how much I love her work. Um, and so my, my whole thing here is why can't we have more of Sif and the Warriors 3 in these movies? I know that they're minor characters. I know that they're side characters, blah, blah, blah. But there are so many interesting things that you can do with minor, quote-unquote, characters. I mean, if you look at the Avengers movies and how they increasingly get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as far as like, the number of characters involved and how each day make an effort to have each character have some kind of arc, you're really telling me that you have no idea how to weave Sif and the Warriors 3 into a Thor movie. <laughs> it seems absolutely laughable that we can't make this work and integrate these characters in some way. So, so my bonus fix is more of those. And I mean, I've already given like a, a way to do that, which is, you know, slap them into this whole road trip setup and let them all travel together. I think we'd have a lot of fun with that.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm a big fan of Fandral, the dashing because I love swashbuckling characters. I mean, Zorro is my fave Um, more on that in a moment, you know, nightcrawler. I love a good swashbuckler. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that he couldn't continue in the franchise, you know, due to his commitments. Um, and maybe that's why he was killed off. Um, but, uh, he's also a, a, a massive upgrade over the dude from once upon a time. Um, my my one my one caveat in this is I want a much more and I don't usually do this, but I want a much more comics accurate Volstag the voluminous. I want him to be gigantic. Yeah, <laughs> I think if Volstagg- you're
0: gonna, if you're gonna use C if you're going to use cgi in anything in that movie you need to cgi volstagg a little or, bit
1: or or give him a suit like thor had in endgame or something because <laughs> i love i love volstagg and if um spoilers if you haven't read jason Aaron's thor but when he gets like the ultimate thor hammer and he becomes the the how forget what moniker he has but like that's a fascinating storyline and you know him grappling with um, you know, the death and loss uh, that he did there. I, I think Tadanobu Asano is great as Hogan the Grim. just more of him grunting. Um, Geralt-ish. I think he's great in the role, but I just need more of him. I love his scene with Hella. I know that he died in it, but I think it was a great death. Um, he's like, I don't know who you are. She's like, B, I just told you who I was. So that's a great scene. Um, But I, I, I love, I, I co-sign it with the caveat of, more Volstagg, if you catch my drift.
0: Yeah, yeah, more, more. I get, I get the drift. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I, I'm, you know, I would really be into that uh, as well. Anyways, so those are our fixes for Thor: The Dark World. Uh, what kind of fixes would you like to slap into this movie to make it a little less dull and meh? Uh, get on social media and tell us all about it. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerd By Word and individually at That nerd Dave and at That nerd Chris. Now we're going to go to a quick break, and when we come back, we got some more nerd commendations for you, some, some really good nerdy media that you should be checking out. So stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds, welcome. It is time for everybody's favorite segment, the segment where we bring you our favorite things in the nerd world. It's time for All right, Chris, it is uh, no surprise that you uh, are deciding to nerd comment this after um, me talking about this series for so long and how much I love it. I am so pleased to see you love it as well. I'm such a completionist that I had to sit on this gem for so long
1: until I read all of it in completion. But do yourself a massive, massive favor and go read the masterpiece, the magnum opus that is Matt Wagner's Zorro. Um, it comes in, uh, six different volumes. Well, technically the first three are Zorro volumes one, two, and three, and then Zorro rides again, uh, in three separate volumes. And it's just absolutely pitch perfect. Um, if you're a fan of the character like myself, and especially if you're a fan of like that classic vibe, um, I'm talking about the, um, the old black and white Disney series, which is currently streaming, On Disney plus so I've been in my happy place for like the last month or so while I'm reading these comics and then putting the show on as I fall asleep at night. It's just perfect. Um, it's it's everything you wanted. Um, a multitude of artists, but my personal favorite, Francesco Francavilla. Like what what he's able to do with the art is just like a pitch perfect harmony. You get Lady Zorro coming in in the um in the rides again, and then you have a couple of books I think that spin off out of that by written by another creative team uh, that I have not read yet. I, I previously nerd commended the Django Zorro, um, book. It's 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 fine. Um, I still have massive reservations about the use of the N-word by Quentin Tarantino. I think he needs to be called the carpet for that. Um, But the overall story is fun and great about two things that I love a lot. I love Django Unchained, um, but with those caveats included. But the Matt Wagner-Zorro stuff is just pitch perfect. It's great. I'm just going to read it endlessly because it's perfect.
0: You know how I found Matt Wagner-Zorro? Through Batman,
1: hey! Oh yeah, he did write some Batman stuff.
0: So yeah, it turns out uh, this this story, if I remember correctly, Matt Wagner's or is originally from like two thousand and eight. I know uh, Great Sin, but at the time I hadn't checked out Matt Wagner's Grendel yet or anything. I did not know much about Matt Wagner, um, but I remember there, uh I was getting really, really strong back in hold the comments. Hold books up! Hold up! Hold up! Just...
1: Hold up! Hold up, Dave. How much does it pain you to not do the German pronunciation of his surname? <laughs>
0: Uh, it it pains me tremendously, but I am being a good boy. Um, I'm aiming <laughs> this at the audience it. we have.
1: Listen, listen. My one of my favorite comic book characters is Wagner. So go for it.
0: All right. So so I'll just I'll just continue as I was because I'm a good <laughs> being a good boy. Um, but uh, so at the time uh, I was leaning really really strongly into reading um, DC comic books and I was collecting like so many DC comic books. And collecting is relative with me. I'm not much of a collector. I'm predominantly a reader. Um, And so there was an announcement made that they were going to do uh, a 12 issue maxi series broken up into two six issue series that were going to bring back um, Batman villains from like the original Batman run in like the 30s or 40s or something. And it was Batman and the Monstermen and Batman and the Mad Monk. And I uh I was like, hey, I'm all about this. And I picked those up and dude, it was so good. Um let's call this a stealth nerd commendation. If you ever get a chance to check out, you know, Matt Wagner on uh um on Batman, those two uh those two miniseries were absolutely Pitch perfect, fantastic. And so then I find out that the same person is going to be doing Zorro, and I was all about that. So I, I collected uh, that whole run on Zorro in, in, you know, first edition floppies. They're downstairs in my basement in a long box. It's probably one of my all time favorite Zorro stories, period. Um, so I'm a huge fan of this, and and I wholeheartedly echo your nerd commendation, Chris. It's just an absolute romp.
1: Just to, because I'm the culture nerd. Uh... What I absolutely loved about it, too, is the retooling retcon, if you will, about his origin and how he's of mestizo origin. Uh, he has indigenous blood as well. And Oh, beautiful, beautiful idea. That, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and that, you know, Bernardo is, you know, for all intents and purposes, his brother and like this found family type of thing rather than just a servant that that always kind of felt icky to me. And so I absolutely love that element of it. Probably the thing that I loved about it most and their camaraderie back and forth.
0: Yeah. And I think Wagner has a good sense of those kinds of little tweaks to make, you know, um, something that is, you know, from an older franchise, a little bit more palatable. I think he's really, really good. Uh, He's not like a a Jeff Johns, let's come in with, you know, the the giant ladle of retcons, but more like subtle little tweaks to to make things feel, uh, I guess, as you said, less icky.
1: Yeah. And I also I was willing to overlook, um, you know, the errors in Spanish, but this is still uh, consider this uh, all points bulletin to all of comics. If you're writing Spanish speaking characters or any foreign language speaking characters with as many Latina like artists that we have collaborating with stuff, how in the world are we not getting the language stuff right? Come on, do better um but this yeah. was written this was written way back when in 2008 many moons ago uh so i was willing to overlook it because everything else was so perfect all right dave uh what the f is this
0: <laughs> you uh you, i i i promised you several weeks ago that uh, jesus tap
1: dancing christ
0: the weird stuff is gonna continue um although this is not so far out of the the general date wheelhouse i'm sorry i'm sorry
1: sorry. okay you say that but what is it called
0: uh it's Basketful of heads um published by uh dc comics under their black label uh specifically actually under hill house comics now uh for those of you that don't know um One of Stephen King's kids, uh, it goes by the name of Joe Hill, has kind of uh, made uh, a name for himself in recent years as a... um as a writer in his uh, own right, very much so Um, doing a a project over at IDW called lock and key that was um, adapted into a Netflix show. Uh, The black phone a story, a novella, I believe of his was adapted into a movie not too long ago. And of course Hill is involved with this Hill house comics initiative at DC comics, where they're doing sort of um, horror books, not all of which are written by, by Hill himself, but um, this particular One basket full of Heads is a six-issue miniseries um, that is, of course, I believe, available on DC Universe Infinite now under the new premium plan. I'd, I would have to double-check. Um, so here is the official tagline from uh, DC Comics' website. Uh, the rain lashes the grassy dunes of Brody Island and seagulls scream above the bay. A slender figure in a raincoat carries a large wicker basket which looks like it might be full of melons covered by a blood-stained scrap of the American flag. This is the story of June Branch, a young woman trapped with four cunning criminals who have snatched her boyfriend for deranged reasons of their own. Now she must fight for her life with the help of an impossible 8th century Viking axe that can pass through a man's neck in a single swipe and leave the severed head still conscious and capable of supernatural speech. Each disembodied head has a malevolent story of its own to tell, and it isn't long before June finds herself in a desperate struggle to hack through their lies and manipulations, racing to save the man she loves before time runs out. Um, So, uh, obviously, uh, I've been trying to get more off the beaten path. I was kind of shocked that I was, uh, that beat off of the beaten path uh, took me back to DC comics, but I'm a big fan of some of Hill's other work. And I was like, well, you know, we just need to check this out. Um, the story takes place in the late seventies. Uh, and I, I really, really liked uh, Leo Mack's art on this and how it almost feels, especially with like the, the sort of muted colors. It feels almost like you're watching one of those old, you know, exploitation flicks in a drive-in or something like it has a really really cool uh retro vibe without being um you know super conscious of its retroness i guess is the best way to put it like stranger things for example you can feel how aware they are of that they're trying to be retro um where this just feels effort effortlessly retro um very very cool art Uh, Big, big fan of that. The story is is absolutely fantastic. Lots of twists and turns. It hits great horror movie vibes without going too far down into tropey territory. And the ending is extremely powerful as well Um, and and hits you with something in the face that you don't quite expect. So I too would like a Viking axe like that. (laughs) Um, Just as a storytelling device, I think that is one of the coolest things uh, that that I've seen in a long time in, in a comic book. The idea that you can you know sever somebody's head and then it just keeps talking thanks to Viking acts, so the whole book the whole mini series is absolutely fantastic. I can see this being adapted into a fantastic movie as well uh but the comic book stands on its own it's just a really, really cool little horror comic book highly highly recommended Chris
1: one of my favorite film scenes over the past uh few years, I guess over a decade now. Uh, And one of my favorite memes to include is from the Lorax, where Danny DeVito's Lorax says, holding up a marshmallow that he's offered by the Onceler, and says, Now I'm going to eat this, but I'm highly offended by it. Damn it, I am hooked, and I'm going to read this, but I'm highly offended by it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that all of the horror stuff I throw your way, though, when it comes right Ah! back to it?
1: You had me at Viking Axe, you
0: <laughs>
1: manipulative <laughs> trickster. I, hey,
0: I tell you what, uh, a nerd nightmare might be over, but I know how to keep pulling you back into the world of scary stuff.
1: <laughs> if not only, okay, if it wasn't even even ex- excusing um, the axe of my heritage... Um, I'm pulling from that slight, slight uh, Danish percentage and claiming that is Viking ancestry. But the art here is absolutely stunning. And it reminds me of some of my favorite Spider-Man art from Marcos Martin. So I'm I'm in. God, I got it. I'm in.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Already hooked one. Let's hope we can get uh, some of our listeners to read this thing as well, because it's totally worth the price of admission. Alrighty, folks, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. If you like what you just heard, get on your favorite podcasting platform. Don't wait, do it now. You need to go ahead and drop a rating, drop a review, and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We are available wherever podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Radio, whatever radio you like to listen to. It is not good radio unless it has the byword, including our very own website, nerdbyword.com.
1: And hit us up on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. At nerd by word or individually, that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris, Dave and uh, some other jabronis, maybe tooting along on Mastodon, but I find it just lame. So I am here for the Twit Apocalypse, and I am just pointing and laughing as we go. Um, I refuse to pay seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine or whatever, but I will point and laugh for free as long as I can. Uh, Also, if you're an aspiring indie creator with something to promote and you want to just come hang out with yours truly, I am still doing the IG Lives Nerd at Night. You can find the Calendly link in our bios on all social pages to schedule a time. Um, And as always, stay well and stay nerdy.
0: And remember, just like Dr. Doom, I toot as I please. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.